This is the Pleasant View Sermons Podcast for the week of June 27th, 2021. This week's sermon, Heavenly Rewards. And now, here's Brother Stephen Beatty. And talking about rewards, that's what the discussion is this Sunday. This is last Sunday was about something horrible, the great white throne judgment. This Sunday is Heavenly Rewards, the title of our message, Heavenly Rewards. And I wanted to tie in a a funny little story having to do with Heavenly Rewards this morning. And I found something yesterday. The context of it is not something we want to celebrate, but it just ties in with this message this morning. The story goes, at the gates of heaven, St. Peter is waiting for each soul that enters. It was a slow day, but finally someone arrives at the gate. Peter looks the guy over and he asks, how long were you married and how many times were you unfaithful to her? The guy looks proudly at Peter and says, in all the 25 years that I've been married, I never once was unfaithful to my wife. Peter smiles and says, because of that, you get to ride around in heaven in a Mercedes Benz. The car appears suddenly and the man gets in and he drives off into eternity in heaven. The second guy arrives at the gates and Peter asks him, How long were you married to your wife, and how many times were you unfaithful to your spouse? The second guy, he looks down, and he says, In ten years, two times, he says. Peter frowns a bit, and he replies, For that, you will ride around in heaven in a Ford Taurus. We don't need to make them anymore. Ford Taurus. The car appears. Well, God can do it. He's God. He can make a Taurus he wants to in heaven. The car appears, and the man gets in, and he drives off into all eternity. Finally, a third man arrives in heaven, and Peter asks, How long were you married, and how many times were you unfaithful to her? The third guy replies, I was married five years and six times, St. Peter. Peter says, You get a Honda to drive around in heaven then. The car appears, and the man gets in, and he drives off. But just as the third guy takes off in his Honda, his reward in heaven. The car stalls, and he won't start back up. He gets out to see what was wrong, and when he sees the first guy sitting at the side of the road crying, the one who had the Mercedes Benz, he's seen him crying. What's wrong, the third guy asks the first guy. The first guy, with tears in his eyes, answers, no, nothing's wrong with the car. I just saw my wife, and she was riding around in a skateboard. (laughs) Anyway, rewards is what we're talking about this morning. We're going to be starting out in Acts chapter 18 this morning as we talk about heavenly rewards. Last time we looked at the judgment that awaits all unbelievers. We did the great white throne judgment. Okay, as horrible as that is, nobody wants to face the great white throne judgment. If you're a follower of Christ, you won't be part of that great white throne judgment. If you don't accept Christ before your last breath or before you're raptured, you will face God's eternal judgment of the second death. But what about Christians? Do we have to be concerned about God's evaluation of our lives? What about our thoughts, our words, our actions, our motivations? 
Do they count at all after we become a Christian? Does how I obey God right now, does it in any way impact the kind of eternity that we're going to serve or we're going to enjoy? The answer to all these questions is yes, yes, and yes. And that's what we're talking about this morning, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you've ever seen uh, the context in uh, Acts chapter 18, if you've ever seen any pictures of the ancient city of Corinth, it does exist. There are many ancient ruins there. And the Apostle Paul was in that city of the city of Corinth during his second missionary journey. And during his 18 months there in Corinth, Paul experienced many people coming to faith in Christ and being baptized. But some people, though, you can't ever please everyone in the crowd. There's always some who are disgruntled. They're upset about what's going on. They, these people, some of them were upset with Paul. And so what they, they do, they trumped up some charges against the Apostle Paul. And because of that, he was arrested, and he found himself in front of the Roman proconsul of Corinth. His name was Gallio. Now, let's look at Acts 18 and verse 12. The Bible says, But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Notice the word there, judgment seat. In Greek, bema, B-E-M-A. Bema literally means a raised platform. Look at right now. I'm on a raised platform. Everybody is looking up to me. I'm looking down on you all. When you go to a courthouse, a judge, he's up on a bema. He's on a raised platform. You're looking up at him thinking, what is he going to, he or she going to say while you're shaking, you know, whatever, because they got all the power in the world, it seems like, but they're on a raised platform. In the city of Corinth, there is a raised platform that is being described here by Dr. Luke. It was a place of judgment a place where the government official would set and issue his edicts and his rulings. Now imagine Paul standing there in shackles. He's been arrested for absolutely nothing he'd done wrong. He's in chains standing before this judge. And Paul, understanding and knowing that by just one word, this Roman government official could extinguish his life. Now do you think Paul was tempted to back down at all? Do you think that he was going to waver in any bit in his commitment to the gospel when facing possible death? Paul didn't waver one bit at all. And do you know why he didn't waver? And this is something we have to remember today as well. Paul understood that one day he was going to face another judge. He was going to face another judge at another judgment seat. And this judge had the ability not just to extinguish his physical life, but this judge has the ability to ex extinguish our souls. Paul understood that, and that's why, that's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed, there's the word, recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In other words, bad is here in this instance means worthless. Notice what Paul says about this judgment seat. He doesn't say they must all appear. He didn't say they, did he? He said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Because... Um, he was talking to Christians at the city 
of Corinth here. We must all appear before this judgment seat of Christ so we can re- be recompensed for our deeds, whether they are good or worthless. Everyone is, who is a Christian is going to stand before God and have our lives evaluated by God. Just like in a job, you go once, get your job once a year, you would go for an evaluation to see whether you were doing up to standard or you weren't doing up to standard. Whether you would get a, a raise or whether you wouldn't get a raise. <laughs> Sometimes you didn't do good and you still don't get a raise. That's unfortunate. But you got an evaluation. Imagine what it's going to be like standing before our Creator and having an evaluation of our lives. Every word, every thought, every action, every single motivation. God knows it all. Gary mentioned it this morning. Gary's got a bad habit of bringing out bits and pieces of my sermon during Sunday school. He He didn't know it, but God does. God knows every part of our lives, good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, some people have a difficulty with this idea of this judgment seat of Christ. But let's be very clear about something about this judgment seat of Christ. This judgment, unlike the great white throne judgment, isn't a judgment of condemnation to condemn. This judgment is a judgment of commendation and evaluation of our lives. There is a big difference. We will be commended for the good things that have happened in our lives, but we're also going to be evaluated as well. But sadly, many Christians have been sadly taught that once we become a Christian, neither our sins nor our good works make any difference at all. That God basically doesn't care about our works. Is that true? Not at all. That's absolutely not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. Another thing to be clear about is that this judgment seat of Christ in no way, listen to me, in no way negates God's forgiveness of our sins at all. It doesn't negate the fact that God has already forgiven us of our sins, past, present, and future. Remember when God forgives our sins, he takes our sins, what we talked about several weeks ago, and he wraps those sins around his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he takes the righteousness that only Jesus could have. None of us are worthy of righteousness in and of ourselves. Then he takes that righteousness of Jesus and he wraps it around us. And as a result of that, what happens? When God looks down upon us, he doesn't see our sins. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest exchange in human history, isn't it? What a wonderful thing. That's the kind of God we serve. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul says, He made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is absolutely true, but this doesn't negate the truth, though, that God still has to evaluate us. We're not going to get out of an evaluation of our lives. When When we become a Christian, we are exempted from God's future condemnation of our life. We are not exempt from God's evaluation of our life. Let's always remember that. And I believe it's important to make a decision, a distinction between works before we are are Christian and works after we are a Christian. Before we trusted in Christ as Savior, our, listen to this, before we ever become a Christian, anything we thought was good, any of what we thought were good works was only good for one thing. It was sufficient to condemn us. Everybody believe that? Absolutely. We thought we were doing something good. 
before we gave our lives to Christ. Many good deeds, helping people and, 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 and giving to the poor and all that. All that did was just make us more sufficient for condemnation. But after we become a Christian, our works mean a great deal to God. You know how, how we know that? One of the most popular uh, New Testament passages, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. What did he say? For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of any works, lest anyone should boast. If We, we will, will be boastful other than that. But this is the key verse here in 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We've been created for workmanship, especially when we have given our life to Christ. We're not saved by good works, but we have been saved for good works. Another way to say it is like this. Our works cannot secure a place in heaven, but they do secure our rank in heaven. How we behave after we become a Christian has a great, great of an impact on what kind of eternity we are going to experience. But I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. He, Paul tells us about the basis for the, this judgment seat of Christ. If this judgment seat of Christ is real and it's going to happen, many, many people want to know how God is going to judge me. What is the basis? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 13. This was part of our public reading this morning. It says, For no man can lay a foundation other than other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with what? Fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Paul here, he mentions two different criteria by which God is going to do this evaluation of our life. What are the basis of God's evaluation of a Christian? Two things. One, number one, the durability of our lives. He talked about it in verse 12. Have we constructed our life with gold, with silver, with precious stones, or have we constructed it with wood and hay and straw? <laughs> I don't know about you. I want the gold and the silver and the precious stones. Those things represent the things that are valuable and that are lasting. Wood, hay, and straw represent those things that people revolve around that are worthless and they're just temporal. If you build your life around a career, a financial portfolio, central pleasures in your life, what are those things built on? They're built on wood, hay, and straw. But what about if you invest your life into God's kingdom? Assuring his message with others of developing a godly character in their life. Those things in your life have been built upon gold, silver, and precious stones. Paul says that's one criteria, the durability of our life. But there's a second basis, and that is, number two, the motives. The motives of our lives. Sometimes we do something when we do something, it's just as important as, as, um, as we end up doing it anyway, the result of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, 
Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. If I, you or me or anyone, any other Christian, if we shared the gospel with someone because of our genuine and real concern for that person's eternity, their well-being, that's rendered as gold. That's why we want to share the gospel. We don't want to see any perish because we're made in God's image. God doesn't want to see anyone perish but to come to everlasting life. If, if any of us share the gospel other, for any other reason other than what I just mentioned, like bragging about, look what I've done, guess what that's built upon? That's built upon wood. And wood doesn't last, does it? Or hay or straw. God does care about our motives. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his, his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Those are big letters there. The Lord weighs out the motives. Now, one word of caution. Don't use motives as a cop-out for disobedience. Some people will say, well, my heart really isn't in it right now, so maybe I will just shouldn't do it at all. I'll wait for my heart to get right before I do it. That's wrong. Do you know that one of the purest motivations for obeying God is what? It's faith, isn't it? It's faith. Faith. That is the faith that God is going to reward me for my obedience to Him. Here's an example. I may not feel like going give it, or giving money to the church this month, but I'm going to give it because I know God is going to reward me one day for doing that. Sometimes you may not feel like giving the money, but you know that there is a promise of rewards for being obedient and giving your portion to the church, giving it to God. So you do it anyway. Or I may not, may not feel like coming to church today. That's happening a lot, isn't it? I may not feel like coming to church today. I'd rather be at the lake. I might want to be at a baseball game. But I come because I know someday God is going to commend me for doing so. Now, some of the some Christians, have you ever heard the other that, that they, they criticize these Christians, the idea that those who serve God are doing it to be rewarded? Some Christians say you shouldn't be doing it because you're going to get rewards. You should do it because you just love God. Does the Bible teach that? Yes, we do love God. But also God's made some promises to us, hasn't he? For obedient Christians, you get rewarded. No different than having a dog in your house. If they obey you, they're probably sometimes expecting some kind of reward. Good things happen when we obey our master. A dog or a cat, us humans, when we obey our bosses and our ultimate boss, our creator, God the Father, we obey him, we're going to get rewarded. The Bible says one of the purest motivations is believing God is going to reward us. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he, he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. There is no better demonstration of faith, God pleasing faith, that is, than making those temporary sacrifices in your life built on the assurance that God is going to reward you in the next life. God honors that kind of faith. Amen. We've talked about the reality 
of the judgment seat of Christ. We've talked about the basis of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what are the results of this judgment seat of Christ? That is, if I make it to heaven, isn't that good enough? Some people think, I just need to make it to heaven and everything's going to be just hunky-dory. Won't I, totally, won't I be totally satisfied if I just make it into heaven? Paul doesn't hesitate in answering that question one bit. He says there's going to be lasting, listen to this, lasting felt consequences depending on how we do at this judgment seat of Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15. Let's do it again. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer L-O-S-S, loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul says there are two possible outcomes that await us at this judgment seat. Not about eternal life or eternal death here. One possible outcome, he said, there are rewards. We'll get into the loss in a minute. Verse 14 says that the one who does well shall receive a reward. What are these rewards? Okay, the Bible mentions there's three that Scripture talk about. And we're going to mention three of them. One, special privileges in heaven. Their special treatment by Christ. You think, huh? Yes, special treatment by Jesus Christ for those who do well during this judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't pretend to understand everything about uh, all of this at all, and the perks that are going to come with this. But the Bible says there are real, real, uh, and they are worth working for here. Number two, there is special praise from the Lord. Matthew 25, 21 says uh, that those who serve faithfully will hear that kind of praise from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Number three, there are positions of authority in heaven. And if you never have been comfortable in any kind of position of authority, God's probably not going to put you in a position of authority, okay? But if you like being able to be a boss and telling people what to do, you may very well get to be part of these positions of authority in heaven. Matthew 25, 21, let's look at it. He said, Jesus said, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Those who do well at the judgment seat of Christ will rule over planets. They're going to rule over angels. We're finally going to rule over angels. We don't do it right now, but one day we're going to rule over angels and even other believers. Okay, Gary, you may rule over Donna one day. I don't know. You never know. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, that I mean, it could happen. We don't know. But anyway, we're going to rule over other Christians as well. You know, there is a special positions of authority. Now, I know what you're thinking. You got to be kidding me. The more work in heaven? Really? More work in heaven? That sounds more like hell to me than it does heaven. You know, I don't want any more responsibility. And there'll be people who think that. They don't want no responsibility. All I want to do is float around in my clown and just, just enjoy just the, the wonderful awe of being in God's presence. You know, think again, okay? Think again. Genesis tells us that we were made in God's image. And what does the Bible teach us in Genesis? God is a worker, and therefore we are workers, right? We have been workers since we've been the age that we know how to work and be given the responsibility to work. 
God wanted us to find satisfaction in our work. And the only reason work, you know, work become painful. How many people's jobs are painless? Nobody's raising their hand. You want to know why? S-I-N, ladies and gentlemen, sin. God told Adam and Eve prior to their fall to cultivate the land and keep it. That was a special blessing. Do you know to be able to work is a, work is a gift from God, but whenever they fail, work become tedious. It become tiresome. It become aggravating, and on and on and on it goes. But one day, that sin is going to be gone, isn't it? We'll no longer have bodies that grow tired. Gary, you get out there and you work in the, in the woods and then you mow the lawn. You get tired, don't you? You get wore out. One day, we're not going to have that no more. Our bodies will never grow tired at all. We'll have no more sour relationships that make up many workplaces. We've all had disgruntled relationships at our jobs. And there'll be no more government re regulations over any part of our life, especially in the workplace. We'll be able to work as God, excuse me, intended us to work, and we'll be completely satisfied. Those who do well at this judgment seat are going to have these extra positions of authority. Now, that's the one possibility, reward. The other outcome is spoken of in verse 15, not rewards, loss. Loss. Look again at verse 3, or verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Another way of saying it, he'll be saved, but he'll be saved by the skin of his teeth. He'll have smoke coming off his hiney as he enters through them gates. Now, not something pleasant to think about, but he will suffer loss. But I want you to notice, not but what I say, but what, what the Apostle Paul says here. Some Christians are going to experience real, tangible, measurable loss at this judgment seat of Christ. When they realize what they realize what could have been theirs is not going to be theirs because they were not more faithful to Christ in their previous life. Now you may be thinking, you know, that sounds horrible. You know, rewards, this was supposed to be a message of complete joy. We're going to get showered with rewards. This sounds awful. Christians are going to suffer loss. The idea that there will be real and lasting regret in heaven, how does that coincide? How does that correspond? How does that square up with the fact that heaven is going to be a place of inexplicable joy? But yet you're saying it's going to be a place of regret? Yes. The fact is, think of this, joy and regret can, go, can coexist with each other, not necessarily washing out one or the other. I'm going to give you an illustration, and I hate to you use this because this stuff can happen, but I'm going to use the example of me and Jennifer in our home, okay? Let's say we're, in, we're insured through State Farm, and our agent's Tony Well. Let's say Tony calls us next week, and he says, you know, I've been looking over your, your homeowner's insurance policy, and with the with inflation and the cost to rebuild and lumber and all the materials, I think you need about fifty thousand more dollars coverage or a hundred thousand, whatever the dollar amount might be, on your home. And he and and uh, I say, well, let me talk it over with her, and we'll call back tomorrow, and we'll if we say okay, we'll set up a time. Well, we discuss it, and we thought, you know what, right now not the right time. We'll just hold off and, until a more suitable time. Then we call him and tell him, and, 
He says, okay, I'll hope you reconsider. Please call me. Well, a week or two go by and we're, the girls, the girls are with grandma and grandpa. Okay. Cause what I'm getting ready to say, I don't want them in the house. Okay. But we're asleep middle of the night and smoke alarm go off. We awaken to the sound and smoke is coming into the bedroom. We realize the house is on fire. Okay. The house is on fire. Sonny and Teddy come running the bedroom for refuge. I run and get the birds. We get out one way. We get out one window. We get outside. The sirens are coming to put out. We got a fire hydrant in our yard. I hope that may help. If I hope we never have to use it, but it's there. And we get back into the road a safe distance, and we look at our house. It's up in flames. Now, what's our first initial reaction going to be? We're overjoyed that everything alive in the house, us and the animals, the girls are certainly not in danger. They're away. We're overjoyed that we are saved from this fire. But then, as I sit there and we think about it, in the back of our mind, two weeks ago, State Farm called and wanted more insurance coverage on our home. How do you think I'm going to feel then? I'm going to regret not taking up his offer for more coverage because that home is going to have to be rebuilt and I may not be covered for enough. So do you understand what I'm saying? You can have joy and you can have regret at the same time. Does that make sense? If it don't, please raise your hand and we'll talk about it. But no, that's an illustration here. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says we would experience that same joy and regret at the judgment seat of Christ. I know what you're thinking. I hope that never happens. But I didn't want to use anyone else as an example. I'm just going to use us. But that's an example of you can have joy and regret at the same time. We'll have that eternal joy that we've escaped the flames of hell because of what Christ has done for us. But there'll be some sadness. There'll be some regret. I lost as it's realized what could have been your ours if we had been more faithful to Christ in our previous life. The Bible says we are to now making a, an eternal difference. And I'm going to give you a story in closing of a beggar in India. Uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer gave this story at one time. There was a beggar, he says, along the side of the road with a bowl begging for rice. A little time went by and a wealthy man, Araja, came by on his chariot and he stopped in front of this beggar. He stepped down off the chariot and he went to the beggar demanding he give him some of his rice in his bowl. The beggar lifted up his bowl to the Raja, who's so wealthy, and he gave him a grain of rice. Then he demanded, give me some more rice. Give me some more rice. This went on several times. Finally, the Raja gets into the chariot, and he takes off. At this point, this poor old, poor old beggar man is furious. He's seething with anger because trying to understand how somebody so wealthy could expect so much from someone who had so little. But once he regained his composure and he calmed himself down, the poor man looked down into the bowl and he noticed something glittering at the bottom of his bowl. He realized it wasn't rice that was glittering. There were grains of gold in his bowl. For every grain of rice that that poor little beggar gave, the wealthy Raja gave him a grain of gold. He didn't know it. 
Owen Lutzer makes this application. He says, if we clutch our bowl of rice, we shall lose our reward. If we're faithful and give God each grain, he gives us gold in return, and the gold God gives will survive the fire. What a great application of the story. Ladies and gentlemen, there are real measurable rewards awaiting those who are obedient to Christ in this life right now. It's the reality of these rewards that caused Paul to write these words. He said, therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each man may be recompensed for deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether they be good or worthless. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Let's bow together in prayer this morning. This message is for Christians this morning. If you've been listening um, online, whenever you have an opportunity, this was messages for Christians. Last time was a message for non-believers. This Sunday was about believers. Every one of us are going to have to face some type of judgment. What about you this morning? Are you a follower of Christ? If you're not a follower of Christ, and you die today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next five minutes. The church may be raptured and be gone. And then all hell will break loose. You don't want to go through that time. Now is the time for salvation. If you're not a Christian and you die in the next five minutes or so, you're going to face that judgment seat of Christ of eternal separation from God. Make that decision this morning and you'll have another judgment being commended for what God has called you to do in your Christian walk and to be receive these heavenly rewards. It's one or the other. It cannot be both. If you're listening to this message this morning and you're not a follower of Christ and you're in the point of your life, God's precious Holy Spirit is convicting you, making you feel guilty, making you realize you're a sinner and in need of a Savior. I encourage you this morning to take that simple step of faith going into the right direction, not of history, but being on the right side of God. If you're feeling that, you can pray a simple prayer with me. It's so child, it's so simple, a child could even do it. A child, I've heard of people being saved at the age of four. It's not impossible. All things are impossible with God. You can pray this prayer with me silently in your heart or pray it out loud, wherever you might be, this simple prayer this morning. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And I'm truly sorry for the sins in my life. But I realize and I believe what I have heard today, that you sent, that you loved me so much, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, not by my good works, what I thought were good works, but by what Jesus and Jesus alone did to save me from my sins. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And right now I am praying you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all of your heart, you are now a child of God. You won't be facing that second death, that great white throne judgment. You'll be facing a judgment, different judgment, that judgment seat of Christ that is to come for all Christians for the commendation and evaluation of our Christian walk on in, on this side of eternity. We welcome you. God, you are now one of God's children.
the first thing you're going to do is give a testimony. You're always going to want to tell what something, what God has done for you, all the saving you from eternity, the eternal flames and eternity with him one day in heaven, with some of your loved ones who have gone on to be in the presence of Christ in heaven. You're going to want to give a testimony. You're going to want to get into a Bible-believing, Christian-loving church who teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. They don't cherry-pick the things that make you feel good and try to sprinkle it with a little bit of this or a little bit of that to make it tickle your ears and to want more and more. They're going to have to teach the whole counsel of God's Word and also to not forget sin and what sin does to a person, what it does to a country, what it does to families. It just destroys from every fiber of your being and in your life and in your family's life. You're going to want to find that Bible-believing church like this one, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist. Our information is on our Facebook page. It's on our website, pbbaptistchurch.org. Brother Daniel has done a terrific job of setting that up. All the information you need, previous sermons. We welcome you. We welcome anyone and everyone who has accepted Christ as Savior. Father God, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus, that no one who has heard your call of salvation from your Holy Spirit, I pray they will not resist that call and they'll accept Christ as Savior before it is eternally too late. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been the Pleasant View Sermons Podcast. For more information about our church, including service times, and videos of our latest sermons, visit our website at www.pvbaptistchurch.org.